Hey, good morning, faith family. I want to say hello to those in our live venue as well. If you all have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. It's where we're going to be. We're continuing in our series that we're calling I Am. Uh, we're looking in the Gospel of John at some of the I Am statements of Jesus. Uh, not so that we'll have more knowledge about him, but as we'll see that our life will never be truly uh, complete or satisfied unless we know him unless we are walking with him. And so that's what uh, these statements are pointing us to. While you're turning there, let me just say I wasn't with you last week, so I didn't have the opportunity just to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, so grateful for the overwhelming support for our uh, REACH initiative. We as leadership are just so excited. I'm having a lot of conversations with people as well who love the fact that God is at work here at our church and that we have a future that's a little scary, makes us a little nervous, but in the same sense is a big step of faith to do something for the sake of the gospel. Amen? And so we're excited. Make sure if you haven't picked up uh, your REACH uh, packets, please do that or we're going to mail them to you. And uh, if that doesn't work, I'm going to show up on your doorstep and make sure it gets to you, okay? So save us a lot of effort by just picking up that packet uh, before you leave today if you haven't already. We want 100% participation and involvement on this vision, this mission together, okay? All right, let's go to John chapter 6. If you're able to stand, please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. John 6, beginning at verse 22 is where we're going to pick it up. John 6.22 says, On the next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set his seal." And they said to him, well, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. And they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? I mean, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, it's not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And then here's the statement. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you've seen me and yet you do not believe all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. 
For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I'll raise Him up on the last day. This is God's Word. Would you please pray with me? Father, I'm convinced that uh, part of the reason that we come here every week and gather for worship is because we need clarity on life. We receive so many messages, so many distractions, so many thoughts throughout our week that we really need time just to sit under Your Word and have Your Spirit speak to us. Lord, I pray that's what You do this morning. It's very easy to get Christianity confused. So bring clarity as to what it means that not only Jesus is the bread of life, but what it means to eat. In Jesus' name I pray, and God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. I ate so much, I thought I was going to explode. I was in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Amish country. I was teaching for Lancaster Bible College and seminary. It's one of the seminaries that I adjunct for. And typically when I teach for them, they put me up in this hotel called the Eden Resort. I'm making that up, the Eden Resort. Don't fear, I didn't listen to any talking serpents, all right, not going there again. Uh, I didn't eat any uh, forbidden fruit, but I did eat just about everything else. Because what the hotel advertised was the number one rated brunch in the entire area. And for Amish country, that's saying a lot. Because there are buffets everywhere. If you've ever been to that area, don't ask me how I know. But they are everywhere. And so when I saw advertised the number one rated brunch and being Baptist, I thought, I must try. And I did. And it was amazing. It was Eden-like. There was all kinds of scenery, like beautiful greenery and just lighting. There was waterfall in the background that was so peaceful. There was live classical music that was being played while everything was going on. And it was station after station of food. I'm going to bring you in on my journey. The first station was the breakfast station, and there were several of these. Oh, brother. There were eggs and bacon and sausage and donuts and muffins and all kinds of pastries, hash browns, made-to-order omelets, steak, waffles, pancakes, French toast, and all the fixings. You hungry yet? I ain't done. The next station I go to has like 15 different kinds of breads, all kinds of like cheese, every fruit humanly imaginable. I mean, it was everywhere. And then there was the lunch stations. At those stations were fish, pasta, crab cakes, lamb, roast beef, and ham. 
There's like a Holy Ghost revival happening right over here. It's like, oh my goodness, right? And then the grand finale, the dessert stations. Smack your mama. They had, they, they had whoopie pies, shoe fly pies, chocolate this, coconut that, all different types of ice creams, all different kinds of puddings, all different kinds of cookies and chocolate fudge brownies. It was temptation at the Eden Resort. And I want you to know that your pastor only had a salad. That was it. Is it wrong to lie in church? I ate so much. Like I ate enough for every single one of you combined. One of those meals that you've got to loosen the belt when it's over, right? I mean, you, you've had that kind of meal before, haven't you? One, two, maybe 30, I don't know. You know, that, that anniversary cruise you went on. That all-inclusive resort you stayed at on vacation. The Super Bowl party you were at a few weeks ago. The, the local Chinese buffet that you like to eat at. Maybe that, that holiday meal, that Christmas or Thanksgiving meal that you share with your family and you eat and you eat and you eat. And you say to yourself and you say to others, I won't have to eat again for another week. And what happens? The very next day, you're hungry again. Now, I want you to capture that feeling, and here's why. It's exactly what's going on in John 6. You see, the passage that we just read is coming out of something. The context is, many of you will remember the story, when Jesus takes a few loaves of bread and some fish, and he begins to multiply the loaves of bread, and he feeds how many? 5,000 plus. Probably more like 10,000 people. As he breaks the bread, as he begins to distribute it, and before long, this multitude of people didn't just get a wheat thin and a sardine. They have eaten so much that John says here in John 6, that they ate their fill. They adjusted the belt line. They feel like they won't have to eat again for a week until the very next day comes and they're hungry again. So they start frantically searching for Jesus. Verse 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Where did he go? He was just here a minute ago. Where, where, where's his disciples? What, wait a minute. Jesus is the kind of guy you want to have around during lunchtime, right? I mean, think about what he did yesterday. He's the guy that will take your tuna sandwich and turn it into prime rib. We can't lose him. We've got to find him. And they do. And when they find him, Jesus 
rebukes them. Look at it, verse 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs. That is, you're not seeking me because of the sign of the bread and the fish, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Oh, my goodness. What's Jesus exposing here? He's exposing the fact that to them, he is nothing more than a Palestinian Pez dispenser. He's a 24-hour Panera. He's a food pantry that you can keep coming back to whenever you get hungry. And that's a problem. In other words, here's the context of the text. Come in here, faith family. This is so important, and it's about to get directed right at us. They are searching after the right person for the wrong reason. They're after the right person. They're seeking Jesus, verse 24, but not for the right reason, verse 26. So why are they seeking after Jesus? Well, they want to satisfy the now. They've got a, a momentary crisis, and that momentary crisis is, we hungry. In fact, it was the same crisis that they had the day before, but something's changed. Namely, now they see Jesus as the solution to their problem. In other words, here's their thinking. I'm hungry. Jesus gives bread and lots of it. Therefore, I need Jesus. I'm hungry. I have a physical problem. Jesus offers bread. Therefore, I need Jesus. Now, here's why this is so important. And I'm just going to be honest with you, faith family. Un believably convicting for me. How often is it that we come to Jesus for all the wrong reasons? My marriage is falling apart. I need Jesus. I got a test coming up next week. I need Jesus. I have a job interview tomorrow. I need Jesus. I don't want to go to hell. I guess I need Jesus. Searching after Him because you have a need and you see Him as the solution to your need. Now, don't misunderstand me. Jesus cares about your physical situation and your physical needs. Do you know why I know Jesus cares about that? Because what did he do for this crowd the day before? He fed them so much they were about to explode. But Jesus is concerned with followers who are coming to him only for what he can give them. Not only are they seeking to satisfy the now, but notice how it gets worse. They then want Jesus to give them a sign that he will guarantee he'll keep meeting their needs. Follow the conversation in verse 30. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? We'll give you one. How about our fathers who ate the manna in the wilderness? As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. In other words, they bring up the wilderness. So here's what's happening. Uh, Jesus, do you remember... Do you remember, you remember that time in the wilderness? Do you remember um, when, like, manna 
came from heaven. Do you remember that? When like all their desires were met and their hunger for food, like it like fell from heaven. Do you remember? You remember? That's awesome. <laughs> Can you top that? Can you beat that? Can you give us a guarantee like our fathers had in the wilderness that you'll keep meeting our needs? In other words, we want to make sure that you're open for business tomorrow. Why? We want you to satisfy our momentary crisis. We want a sign that you'll be here tomorrow and open for business as a means of securing for us a good life and a better future. Notice the conversation, verse 32. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses that gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Notice their response. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Let me take you into this culture for just a moment as to why they say, we want this bread always. When you and I want food, we go to the grocery store. There are aisles upon aisles upon aisles of food. In the ancient Near East, when they wanted food, they had to grow their own food, at least all the basics. There is no local grocery store that they can walk to and fill up their shopping cart. If a drought happens, here, food prices go up. If a drought happens in the ancient Near East, they die. In our day, we work, we make an income, we get a paycheck, and roughly, stats show us that about 15% of our income is spent on food, going out to eat, restaurants, groceries, things of that nature. Listen, listen. 85% of their life was focused on food. Here's the point right here. They see Jesus as a ticket to a better life. He can secure their future unlike anybody else can. So give us this bread always. Now follow along because this is, this is so applicable to us. They want him to satisfy the now. They want a guarantee that he'll do it again tomorrow so that they won't have to worry about their future anymore. What's the problem with this? The problem they have is the same problem we have, and that is we can't see past the physical. We assume if we could just have our physical situation solved, then life would be better. That our real problems are physical problems. They're financial. They're relational. They're things of that nature. And yet Jesus is trying to take them deeper to their real issue. In fact, this has been going on in the Gospel of John leading up to this. Let me sketch it out for you. In John chapter 3, do you remember when Nicodemus comes to uh, Jesus and he's talking about how you enter into the kingdom of God and Jesus said, you must be born again. What was Nicodemus' response? How do you get back into your mother's womb? It doesn't, doesn't make any sense. 
John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman. I, I offer living water, water that becomes a spring of life welling up within you. Sweet. Then I won't have to come back to this well anymore. John 6, I offer bread that gives life. Fantastic. That means we won't have to grow crops anymore and we can take the grocery line item out of the budget. They can't see past the physical. And what Jesus is trying to do to them in John 6 is precisely what He needs to do to us this morning. And that is take us deeper. Look at me. There is a deeper need you have in your life than another meal. There is a deeper need that you have in your life more important than a really good marriage. There is a deeper need that you have in your life that's more important than job security. And I want to show you this in another passage of Scripture, and then I'm going to come back and show you how Jesus answers it in John 6. Look in Mark chapter 2 in what is a bizarre story in terms of what Jesus says in the context. Look here on the screen. It says, Many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. So it's very crowded. And Jesus is inside preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. In other words, imagine that in this service, all of a sudden you start hearing chainsaws. And somebody is cutting a hole in the ceiling. And they, they bring down somebody who is paralyzed and unable to walk. And what Jesus says next is absolutely astounding. Verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Think about that. Does that strike anybody as odd? If I'm one of the guys bringing the paralytic and lowering down, here's what I'm saying. Well, thanks, Jesus. But we actually didn't come here for that. We came here because our friend can't walk. And so what he really needs is healing. It'd be like you going to the doctor because you broke your arm. And the doctor walks into the office and says, I have wonderful news for you. I've enrolled you in counseling. <laughs> and you, What? I didn't come here for counseling. I came here because my arm hurts. And the doctor looks at you and says, yeah, but your problems are actually a lot deeper than that. That's precisely what Jesus is doing. In other words, and, and I know i got to tread loosely here, the real issue in this man's life is not that he can't walk. It's deeper than that. 
Now, in case you think again that I'm minimizing physical needs, let me go ahead and finish the story. What does Jesus do to the paralytic? He heals him, tells him to get up and walk. So Jesus is all about your marriage, your finances, your physical problems. But if that's the only connection you have to Jesus, you're not connected to Jesus. Because your real need is not another meal. And that's why what Jesus says next in John 6 is jaw-dropping. Are you with me? Here's the flow of the text. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? We got to find him. We got to find him. I mean, yesterday he fed us and we're hungry again today. So we got to find this Palestinian Pez dispenser to get another meal and Jesus rebukes them. Because that's not the motivation for which you come to Jesus. And out of that, he says, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That's profound. And here's why it's profound. And I, I need every eye in venue. I need every eye in this room right here because this is Christianity. And what I'm hoping this morning is that some of you religious people who've been in church all your life get exposed by the Spirit this morning as to whether or not you really are a Christian. Coming to Jesus is not to get something from Jesus. It's to get Jesus! It is not about meeting a physical need. It is about receiving a person. I am the bread of life. You want another meal, but you don't need another meal. What you need is a person, and I am him, and your heart will never be satisfied until you eat of me. And Jesus has been hinting already at this before he bluntly states it with, I am the bread of life. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he, not it. It's he who came down from heaven and gives life to the world. Oh my goodness, I would have loved to have seen their response. Because what did they do? They went Old Testament on Jesus. Right? You remember? You remember the wilderness and manna from heaven? Jesus is like, yeah, I remember. Guess what? I came down from heaven. That sign you're looking for is a savior. It's a person. Which means this, Spirit, please, please rip through our hearts. The all-sufficient, eternally satisfying bread that your soul longs for is the person of Jesus Christ. And more than anything you could get in this world, full stomachs, better marriages, financial security, your heart's deepest 
desire is to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that's why some of you are so dissatisfied. Because Jesus has been nothing more to you than a business transaction. And you've never known him intimately and personally. Amen? He is bread. And you could have all you could eat every single day and still be hungry tomorrow. Because your greatest need isn't a meal, it is Jesus Christ. There is a wonderful illustration of this. And of all places, it's found in Harry Potter. <laughs> I know some of you may not like Harry Potter. That is okay, I understand. But this illustration is worth giving. Because it illustrates this point perfectly. If you know the Harry Potter series, you know that there's a point in which Harry comes upon what's called the Mirror of Erised. The Mirror of Erised, which is simply desire spelt backwards. It's the Mirror of Desire. And what this mirror does is when you look into it, it reveals back what is the deepest, most desperate longing you have. In other words, it reveals the desire, the true desire of your heart. And Harry, who had never known his parents, comes before the mirror of desire and has his heart exposed. So let me ask you this morning. In fact, this is what the text is asking us this morning. Oh, would you please be real? If you looked into the mirror of desire, what would you see? If I could just have my mom and dad. If I could just have a better job. If I could just have a, a, a secure future if they would just like me. If I could just have another meal. 
if you looked into the mirror of desire, would you see something or would you see someone? Can you say that the deepest desire of your heart is Jesus Christ? The problem is most of us play in the physical and, and physical needs are important. But this morning, Jesus is trying to take you deeper into the very hunger and desire of your soul. And it can only be met by the bread of life. What do you see? Who do you see? This is Christianity. And I want to show you this in the Scriptures first with an Old Testament passage in Habakkuk that shows us how whether we lose physical things or whether we gain physical things, when our soul is satisfied in God, when our desire is for a person, only then can we have joy. Look, for instance, as the negative in Habakkuk 3, verse 17 and following. You'll see it on the screen. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, or the fields yield no food, or the flock be cut off from the fold, or there be no herd in the stalls. In other words, I lose every physical thing I have, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Why? I have bread. Those physical things are important, but they are not what makes my heart happy. That belongs only to God. Notice the positive side in Philippians chapter 3. Paul talks about what he gains. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Do you see those two contrasts? One is, if I lose everything physical, I rejoice in the Lord. The other is, if I gain everything physical, what? There's nothing more valuable to me than knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Whether I have a lot, whether I have nothing, whether I have good health or whether my health is failing, whether I have a great job or whether I don't have a great job, whether I have a meal today or whether or not I'm hungry, my bread is a person. One of my favorite quotes, I've shared it with you before from John Piper is this. He says this, quote, If you could have heaven with no sickness, all the friends you ever had, all the food you ever liked, all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, all the natural beauties you ever saw, no human conflict or natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? People who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there. Because the gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It's a way to get people to God. What makes heaven heaven is it's where God is. So if we don't want God above all things, we have not been converted 
by the gospel. This is what John 6 is all about. You're coming to me because you want another meal, but I want you to know that that's not your greatest need. I am the bread of life. I am the one you need. In fact, the reason why this is so important, listen to me, faith family, it's because if your, if your relationship with Jesus is nothing more than a business transaction, in other words, as important as your physical needs are, you just come to him to get from him, what's going to happen when he doesn't answer your prayer the way you thought it should have been answered? What are you going to do when you pray and pray and pray for the marriage to be reconciled and it doesn't happen? What are you going to do when you pray for your loved one on their hospital bed and they're not healed? I'll tell you what you'll do or what you might do if the relationship you have with Jesus is purely a transactional one. You will walk away. Look at verse 66 of chapter 6. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Why? Because if I'm coming to Jesus to get what I want and I don't get what I want, then I don't need Jesus. If I'm coming to Jesus just to get my marriage reconciled and my marriage doesn't get reconciled, then I don't need Jesus. And you've missed the point. That your greatest need isn't physical fulfillment, it's spiritual fulfillment that only comes in the bread of life. Amen? Are you with me? And compare that to what Peter says in the next verse, verse 67, Jesus says to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? We have, you have the words of eternal life. In other words, where else would we go? Of course we're not going to walk away. You're what we want. And that is what Christianity is all about. This search for another meal is answered by what you need as a person. So now we end today by saying, then how do you eat of this person? Doesn't that sound weird? Eat Jesus. That's strange. And in fact, if you think it's strange, they thought it's strange also. Look at verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he'll live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Is this Jeffrey Dahmer? What, what? It's weird. Verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat. They're as puzzled as you are. I don't, I don't understand. How do I eat if Jesus is bread? And the text could not be any clearer. Look at verse 29 and then we're done. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him 
who he has sent. Look at verse 35. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 36, I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I'll raise him up on the last day. Last one, verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Could the text be any more obvious? Eating is believing. It is faith alone, faith alone, faith alone, faith alone. But I leave you with this thought. For many of us, believing or having faith is nothing more than a mental exercise. You might say to me, Pastor, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe he rose from the dead. I mentally assent to the fact that that is true. But I want to tell you what believing is within the metaphor of eating. Imagine that you are someone who likes art. Any artist? A few of you? Now, why would someone go to an art gallery? Well, there's a lot of reasons that you might go to an art gallery. Uh, for instance, you, you, maybe you grew up in a home of artists. Mom or dad was an artist. And so from the moment you were born, you went to art galleries. In fact, you were at the art gallery every time the doors were open at the art gallery. It's all you've ever known. Or, or, or maybe, 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 maybe you're in an art class. And the professor has made it very clear that if you don't go to the art gallery, you will fail the class. And so guess what? You're going to the art gallery because the last thing you want to do is fail. Or maybe you go to the art gallery because you love art. Maybe you go to the art gallery because you see art and its beauty. Here's the point, faith family. Believing in John 6 is not believing because your parents believed, you were raised in church, and it's all you've ever known. Believing in John 6 is not the professor has been clear. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to spend eternity in hell. Believing in John 6 is seeing the beauty of Jesus. It is loving him and seeing him as the desire of your heart. So I ask you this morning, I mean, you're here, but why? Are you here searching for something from Jesus, or are you here for Jesus? What is the bread of your life? Because you're going to walk out in just a moment outside these doors and you are going to walk into a world-class buffet warring for your appetites. And there's going to be station after station after station. All the sex you want, all the money you can make, all the fun you can have, and all the food you can eat. And there is a voice that will whisper to you every day. A voice that goes all the way back to Eden. 
Take and eat. Take and eat. But what He won't tell you is you'll still be hungry again tomorrow. I declare to you another voice. The voice of the Gospel. The voice of bread. The voice of Jesus Christ that says, if you will come to me, the bread of life, and if you will believe and love me, you will never hunger again. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this passage. I may be the only one in this church who needed it, but so often my coming to you is simply for what I can get from you. Lord, just if I look at my prayer life, I bet if we looked at our prayer life, there's a lot more supplication than adoration. There's a lot more of here's what I want and here's what I want rather than enjoying you, worshiping you, thinking about you. And so I'm just asking that you would expose our hearts this morning. There may be some that that's all they've ever known their relationship with you to be is that you provide a lot of good things. But they've never seen that you are what's good. And I pray that you would Bring us low this morning to the point that all we want, all we desire is Jesus. He is the bread of life, and that is our deepest need. Speak to us. Work in us. Bring clarity to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please?